Welcome to Activist NYC, the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Tran. I'm here to introduce my first guest, my first return guest since the pandemic, Rohan Zuli. Rohan is a queer, non-binary, black Asian activist, community organizer, public speaker, writer, dancer, musician. I mean, what else can't they do? <laughs> They're just an all-around amazing, talented human being. They are the founder of the Blasian March, a black Asian solidarity initiative through education and celebration. The Blasian March has been recognized for their work to unite diverse communities in love, fellowship, and support. Rohan has done a number of public speaking engagements about human rights, LGBTQIA rights, and Asian American and black social justice movements. Their writing has been published by them, Newsweek, Reappropriate, Mochi Magazine, Next Shark, and more. I'm so excited to have them here with me today as my first return guest to the podcast. Welcome, Rohan. <laughs> Hi. Oh my God, so happy to be here with you. Thank yeah. you for doing this. Thank you for being a part of this. Oh, um, thank you. You know, uh, as I mentioned in my previous little welcome back episode that it's been a little while since I did this podcast because we, as we know, we, we, we were shut down because of a pandemic, right? Um, so I really am so grateful that you are the first return guest for me because there has <laughs> been so much that has happened the last couple of years that we have to try to unpack in like less than an hour. But, <laughs> but um, let's Impossible. just start, let's just start with uh, you introducing yourself, um, you know, who you are, your, what you do, wh how, you know, just give me a little rundown on, on your background. Oh my gosh, what do I what do I and what I do? That's a lot. Um, so yeah, like like you said, um, I'm a writer, musician. I'm also a dancer. Uh, yes, public speaking. Um, it's been a lot, and it's also funny that so much of this has happened because of my work in the Blaze March. Like so much of my public speaking has like really. Um, started because of my organizing. Um, a lot of my writing has evolved in ways I was not expecting because of pandemic, because of the compounding social justice movements that by pure identity I'm a part of. Um, so yeah, like I write poetry, um, which has been published in magazines in Canada. I have also performed poetry in Switzerland on Black and Asian liberation. Um, also danced a whole piece about social justice for the Asian community um, in Switzerland last year at um, a festival. Um, I've also fallen into journalism, which was not the plan. <laughs> um, like, I basically grew up loving my life as a fantasy writer, and I'm still writing fantasy. I'm working on uh, two novels right now <laughs> and a few um, novellas. But um, yeah, um, when them approached me, they're like, yeah, we want to do, uh, we're wondering because you're a writer, would you be interested in writing a piece um, for Asian American History Month? So I was like, yeah, okay, of course, especially since you're paying me. I mean, abolish money, but also like <laughs> <laughs> in late stage capitalism, we must survive somehow, right? Right. So <laughs> we all need money to pay rent. <laughs> yeah. And um, that essay, um, Why Abolition is Essential for Black Asian Solidarity, um, has just kicked off my writing in journalism. And I'm so grateful to all the folks who've read it, who've shared it. Um, shout out to Joy Sales um, at California State University Los Angeles, because um, she actually incorporated that essay into Asian American studies courses over there. So it's a little wild being like, oh my gosh, my writing is also part of Blasian March work, but it's it's hitting communities in ways I was not expecting. And it's 
been a wonderful journey. I think doing this work, you're always going to be surprised by like what you're capable of Absolutely. because you know I start like as you know I'm a photographer, and I've been documenting movements in New York for like over ten years, right? And I never thought I would have my own podcast. You know, like I mean, yeah, I do this mainly just for the passion and for the cause. It's not like I'm getting paid to do any of this, you know. But um, I heard just over so many years and from so many friends and colleagues and people that you know tell me I have such a voice, right? Yeah. And so, like, just doing whatever you feel is passionate for you, like what you feel really passionate about, what you think that you can. Well, other ways for you to share your voice. I think that's wonderful. It's beautiful. And like, you know, for you to say, oh, I never thought I'd be in journalism. Well, I never thought I'd be here either. You right. know, I never thought I'd be doing this. I never thought I'd be um, a photographer. I never thought I would be now restarting this podcast. You know, I I, I really have been feeling a lot of, of um, you know, just feelings about what I want to do with my work. Yeah. And for me, it's never just been limited to just photography. You know, it's, it's, it's so much more expansive than that. So I think like just learning about yourself through this process of, you know, doing the work, right? Which and just, really. and, and literally just being a part of these spaces, you really come to realize like what you're really capable of and mm -hmm. how much we can really do, right? So I really applaud your journey and I'm so proud to see like all of your writing and all of your speaking engagements. Like this has been such a wonderful joyful thing to see all my friends like succeeding right mm -hmm. um oh thank you um, <laughs> just throwing flowers back and forth it's fine i know it's okay <laughs> this this whole podcast is just gonna be me with my friends just like love like just loving kicking. each other and like you know just uplifting each other i love it <laughs> um so so I, I wanted to ask about your identity, if you're comfortable mm -hmm. talking a bit about like your family background, because yeah. then um, I would love to hear more about, you know, how your identity as a black Asian person has shaped you to who you are today and shaped the work that you do right now. I mean, like, you know, and then we can lead into, um, you know, when you founded Blasian March and what inspires you to do mm -hmm. that. But um, if you can just, you know, yeah, give give the audience a little background on your identity as a black Asian person and yeah. kind of lead that into um, what inspired you to create Blasian March. Yeah. Um, so I am the third generation of black Asian in my family, which, well, I'm sure there's more than I know of, but like at least here in the United States, I'm the third generation. My uh, grandfather on my mother's side, his father migrated here from China um, under the exclusion era. So, of course, he had um, a false name, false documentation. So we have no idea where exactly in China he's from. But he did marry a black woman um, in Florida where my grandfather was born. Um, he migrated to New York where he met my grandmother, um, who she is black, Scottish, Irish, Filipina, um, also very, very mixed. Um, and I believe it's also Irish on my grandfather's side as well. Um, and that's my mother's side of the family. My father's side um, is by way of Jamaica. Um, so his mother, my grandmother, um, she uh, is half black, half Chinese. And it's really, really, f and there's, according to her, there's also some Indian on her black side. Um, which recently has come under controversy. Some folks' family think we are, some folks' family think we aren't. Um, I blame colonization for erasing so much of our like history and, and our lineage. So thanks, England. Please give us all of our gold back. <laughs> That'd be great. As your society is collapsing, it's cute. Watching healthcare being like, I'm like... Like you stole all this wealth and you can't pay your nurses. I'm really confused right now, but 
It's fine, England. <laughs> yeah, we all know England has a long, long history. <laughs> right. And um, also, uh, I found out recently there's also Cuban on my father's side. So all of that um, has fed a lot of my experiences growing up. So um, for folks who have never seen me, I am brown-skinned. I, I do present as black. Um, and for a lot of my time growing up, my parents, even though we went to like the National Association of Chinese Americans events, we celebrated Lunar New Year with Chinese community where I grew up in Georgia, um, we were still like, you are black. Like my parents were still like, you are black. Um, there was never a, you are Asian. It was just, you are black. And I understand coming from a standpoint of we live in a police state and the last thing my parents, well, my mother wanted would be for her black child or her, my older brother, who's also black, her black son to be, you know, not have the proper survival skills in a society that thrives on the genocide of black people, um, a society that thrives on the modernized enslavement of black people, of indigenous people, of other people of color. So we never really grew up politicizing or thinking of our Asian heritage through like a political context. Um, for me, it kind of became much more of my journey when I reached college. Um, so I went to an international school in Atlanta, um, where everything was about your nationality. So of course, at that point in time, I was like, well, yeah, I have Jamaican dual citizenship, blah, 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 blah. I'm Jamaican. Um, but then, you know, learning more about the queer phobia and Jamaican culture, I found myself not really resonating as much with my Jamaican heritage. Um, unlike my brother, who is very deeply entrenched in being like a Jamaican American, where I'm just like, it's there, but okay. And then in university, right before university was when I discovered I was part Filipino. Um, and so college really became the point where I was really, really exploring a lot of my Asian identity because I wasn't really, I, would, I didn't find myself welcome in the black community on campus. Um, a lot of that had to do with being queer, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I, my, my, my accent, my inflection, the way I speak is not congruent with certain assumptions about how black people should speak. Um, Especially black mask presenting people, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was a matter of more, like toxic masculinity mm -hmm. that made you feel unwelcome in these black spaces. Absolutely. That... And um, especially in, in black community, you know, we, we also really honor our, our heritage, our ancestry. So for me, you know, that translated very easily into I am proud of my Asian heritage. But within black spaces, whenever I would essentially come out as Asian, whenever I would disclose I'm of Asian descent, there would be just a lot of backlash. Like, for example, some folks would say, oh, like you must hate being black or um, you are a shanty black. Someone suggested I get therapy to uh, handle <laughs> my identity because they could not believe that I was Asian. Um, lots of folks would always say, but you don't look Asian. I'm like, well, have you been to Asia? Have you seen the Negritos of the Philippines? Have you seen... Uh, <laughs> folks in like South, like the Southern parts of like South Asia where they're way darker than I am. Have you been to like Pacifica and, and seen the black Samoans? Like people look like me and are still part of Asia and Pacifica. So <laughs> it really, it really um, gets to like people's um, prejudices and mm -hmm. assumptions mm -hmm. about folks. And absolutely, you know, like this, um, like how people just want to make assumptions about you completely based on what they perceive only and not from actual facts. Literally. Which is mind-blowing to me because it, it, this is who you are. And right. like they are essentially then denying who you are by being like, well, you don't look Asian to me, so therefore you cannot be Asian. I'm like, well, well, well wait, 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 hold on a second. Like just <laughs> because you don't see that in me doesn't mean that it's not true. Right, right. <laughs> and like it goes back to just like how deeply entrenched white 
and colonial miseducation is in our communities. Because to me, it's like, well, what does Asian look like then? Are you assuming that all Asians look the same? Right. Do you <clears throat> assume that all Asians just look like East Asians? Right. right? And where is that mythology coming from? Where yeah. is that myth being instituted? Media. Yeah. Entertainment. Which are colonial structures. Yes. <laughs> colonial structures all of them. Yes. Yay! <laughs> we love colonial miseducation of our people. <laughs> um, so, yeah, because I was essentially not welcome in the black community for the way I speak, for being Asian, for being queer. I found myself being a lot more involved with like Asian American student groups. Um, and um, from there it was like, okay, I, I, I'm finding myself much more connected with my Asian roots during college, which people are like, that's your time to like discover who you are and like do all the things, blah, 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 blah. Um, so there was, uh, you know, several student groups I was a part of that were mostly in the Asian diasporas. And my junior year, there was a uh, movement called ANUP, and that was the Asian Northwestern University Project. You know, this group was to address a lot of the anti-Asian-ness that was happening on campus. And this was way before Stop Asian Hate started. This was 2012, 2011, around that time period. Um, so for folks who don't know, anti-Asian violence is a centuries-old practice on this stolen land, which began as soon as the colonizers arrived. So <laughs> yeah, there's that. And um, even though, like, it was it was a monumental moment for me because a lot of times I would go to these other student groups and even though I would be like, yeah, I'm part Chinese, but I still feel like a guest in this space or I'm part Filipino, but I still feel like a guest in this space because, you know, when we're with these um, cultural groups, we think about, you know, food and music, things I did not grow up with, you know, like I didn't grow up with Bonsit and, and Calamansi. I did not grow up hearing mando pop in the household you know <laughs> like um but anub became the space where i finally said out loud i am an asian american it finally gave me permission to claim being an asian american and um we had our first uh Asian Pride Rally, which also, like, when I think back to it, this actually was the very first protest I attended, which was an Asian Pride Rally. Wow. Yeah. Oh, in cute. college. It was so, so cute. cute. <laughs> and you've seen me do, like, dancing and ballet, like, at protests. Yeah, this was also the first time I... Because junior year was when I also started my ballet journey. Um, like, when I took ballet more seriously, because I had done, like, ballet here and there, um, in my freshman year, um, but it wasn't until junior year that I was like, I'm going to take ballet consistently. I fall in love with ballet. I want to do it. Um, so yeah, at that pride rally, I, I did ballet as a uh, part of the protest and it's just, it, it set so many things in motion for what became, what you saw, what we saw, uh, the 2020 protest, what became Blasian March, um yeah I, I i feel like your story really um makes me think a lot about first of all like what it means then to be asian american mm -hmm. how do we define that right. you know like like when you were talking about you didn't grow up eating the food or you didn't grow up listening to the music well does that make you asian american because right. white people eat the food and white people listen to the music does that, <laughs> that make part. them asian american you know <laughs> you know <laughs> um so so like it it makes me wonder a lot about like okay what what really makes you an asian american person right. what makes you a black person right, right? It, it like for for you, it's like appearances. You just when some when someone looks at you, they will probably immediately assume that you are black. Right. But for your Asian identity, that people don't see like immediately, or they, you know, assume that you're not Asian just because they, in their eyes, they don't see you as one. Right. You know, does that that doesn't take away your Asianness though, right? Not at it's all. so like it. It really think it really makes you think about like okay, what you know what 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 why do we identify this 
in this way? Why do we identify as Asian? Why do we identify as black? Why do we identify as queer? Like, you know, these are these are a lot of the questions I constantly ask myself and of my friends and colleagues because I think like these are the questions that really propel us. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, and so just hearing that, like, all of this is what really set everything for you in motion. I mean, that is, first of all, I'm so glad to hear that there was a space that accepted you mm -hmm. in college. Um, because I think that's all, that's really down to the root of human nature is that we just want to feel accepted by others. We want to feel like we're a part of something, a part of a community. Yeah. And when you were in college and you were being rejected by the black spaces, like that hurts at a deep, deep level that, you know, you, you really think that there's certain people that would have your back out there right. and then you find that they don't have your back and that is so traumatizing and so hurtful on on such a deep level to anybody and so the fact that you did find a space for yourself in college that really set everything in motion for you i mean that was the catalyst it really was it's the cat and and really finding these spaces is what is what we do right it's what we do as activists as organizers as community members mm -hmm. as human beings right that just care for one another we find space for ourselves we create spaces for ourselves that we have never been allowed in before and so this is such a good segue um to then ask you now so so after this experience that you had in college that mm -hmm. really set things in motion and then you mentioned like so once 2020 came around and you know we were in the middle of a global pandemic um that literally shut down our entire country and yeah. shut down the whole world. And we saw just this immense, immense uprising that I mean, I've been covering Black Lives Matter for a long time. Okay. Like I've been going to BLM protests since <laughs> 2013 or when something it started, yeah. when it started. Um, but 2020 was just uh, a site that I had never seen before in all my years going to protests and all my years documenting, you know, activism in the streets. I, I, I had never seen so many people come out, and it, it was probably a combination of so many factors. You know, it was the pandemic, and like everyone was locked in their homes yeah. for so long, and you know, seeing that video of George Floyd being killed was just absolutely gut-wrenching yeah. and 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 it forced because a lot of people were like forced to pay attention because no one was really working no one was you know going out anywhere like life had kind of stopped right yeah. and so when this video came out of george floyd being killed everyone was forced to see it and and actually pay attention for once and so that i think that's the reason why we saw just the sheer numbers of people coming out um but i know that your first blasian march was during this year right so tell me how how it how it started how it formed how you got inspired after this huge uprising that was happening how did blasian march you know fit into the picture Oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, so the Blasian March, she began. Um, oh, like this? She's a she. I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, femme power. We love the femme power. We love the femme power. <laughs> yes, her pronouns are she, her, and abolition now. <laughs> um, gosh, so there are many roots um that i think kind of meshed into creating the blasian march um first off i definitely gotta say fun fact um the when you mentioned blm and it's beginning in 2013 that was right after i had actually graduated from university and i had definitely felt like oh like i can't go to protests outside because it's not in the college bubble because you know we all think oh it's it's university there's a bubble you're you're there's a myth of safety um <clears throat> but actually it took um 
my Filipino student group in college, Kaibigan, uh, we had like an alumni party uh, for the holidays, and I got a copy of Carlos Bolosan's America's in the Heart. Um, and it's his memoir about his journey to the United States. Um, he writes a lot about the anti-Asian violence that was happening right when the U.S. had annexed the Philippines. Um, he speaks on he speaks on a lot of like lynchings of Filipinos, um, the racial violence, and that inspired me to also think, oh, if both my Black and Asian ancestors have been doing this fight and resisting, why am I? sitting here and afraid. Uh, I think that's one part. Um, I also got to give a shout out to all of the Filipino organizers I collaborate with in Chicago. So shout out to Anak Bayan for also giving me space to um, organize. Um, so Blasian March, um, yep, in the high of 2020. Um, I think there's, there's two major components. Um, one would definitely be... Um, Organizing in the Asian community at that time was also quite interesting because it was kind of like the beginnings of what we would also understand to be the massive wave of anti-Asian violence. Um, and at the time, you know, for me being like basically in the middle of these two political movements, it's like, well, how do we bring them all together? And at the time, I was also thinking, oh, we are still in this era that centers the murder of George Floyd. How can we bring some Asian organizers to be more in support? Um, and so I, I helped organize a few protests and, and one protest that um, happened, um, my safety was compromised. Um, this was led by an Asian cishet man. And Boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could have an entire other episode just complaining about Asian cis hat men. Can we please just have one just on that whole on that patriarchy? Whole the whole Asian patriarchy and how it is so in alliance with white patriarchy. There's so <laughs> much. There, there, there is a lot to cover. There's so much. I'm gonna get through it. I'm gonna. This is, <laughs> this is just the first one, you know, coming back. But there's so much to talk about. Yeah. So you know, I in the group chat, I was like, "Hey, it's not okay that my state has been compromised because the protest took off without me." And I'm like. I'm the only black person here on the team. I am visibly queer. I'm wearing a pride flag. I'm a walking target. This is not okay. Um, so for me, the Blasian March was actually a healing process because I was like, I want to do black Asian solidarity in some capacity. And clearly I have not been heard. Clearly my wishes to bring the community this way is not being listened to. So I was like, I'm gonna do my own thing. Bye. Um. <laughs> I love that though because like again like mm. you know when 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 things aren't like fit right for you just make your own, make space. Your own space. Yeah. Like that's what I've been learning about is like why do we need these gatekeepers to tell us like what you know where we belong. Right. Like right. I, no, you you can just belong wherever you want to belong. Right. Like, you can create your own space to do that. Um, right. So okay, I love this. I so love like, that like this was like how Blasian March was born. It was just like <laughs> you like being like like you know screw this patriarchal like you know bs and <laughs> yeah just screw it and i'm gonna make my own thing i'm gonna do my own thing do my own thing yeah. and i also i'm thinking about how much of blm itself had been so misconstrued so contorted by white media so like we should definitely acknowledge that it was founded by three black women most of, if not all three, are queer, I believe. Um, Ayo Tometi, Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza. And somehow in the media, we only bring up Black Lives Matter when it's a black, cishet, able-bodied man who's been killed by police when Black Lives Matter is about the affirmation of black life and in all of our struggles as black people. Like so, how the media always routinely ignores black trans lives. Exactly. When they are being murdered, when exactly. they are being under, you know, like scrutiny and when they are suffering, right. like the, the media does not care about 
them. Right. They care about what is going to be the popular hashtag right. of that week. Right. You know, <laughs> and and you know, and the, yeah, like the the you know, Black Lives Matter is talking about all black lives, right. not just right. men, right. not just like these specific ones that right. we always see on TV or right. in the news. Right. And and that's why, um, you know, that's why I created Activist NYC in the first place, because I, I'm always sick of mainstream media's bias and their, you know, they, their targeted like coverage of just certain things that will get them the headlines you know mm -hmm. like for me it's like i want to provide a alternative to that and show like okay these people there's still pe there's a lot of people out there that are showing up for all black lives right. including you know queer black lives and trans black black lives right and so um, yeah, it's just like, the, the, again, creating your own spaces, yeah. you know, creating your own thing that like you see like something else not doing what you really truly believe in. Right. It's not like they're not covering what I think should be covered. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to go out there. I'm going to fucking cover it, you know. <laughs> and I, I got your gratitude to all the journalists who have actually covered <laughs> the yeah. Blazing March. And it's, it's been really just wild when people are like. I just heard you on NPR and they're like in California or um, my friend lives in Chicago and she was like, yeah, so I'm at work and our, um, um, you know, the, the work, she works in corporate and she's like, yeah, I opened our, our web browser homepage and you're like on the front of it. And yeah, I was like, what? So cool. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And like, this is also what I loved about the 2020 explosion of BLM is that there were so many, <clears throat> I guess, offshoots of BLM. There was like Black Women's March. There was Black Disabled Lives Matters. There was uh, the Stonewall protest to affirm Black, queer, and trans folks. And to me, like that was such a reclamation of what had really perverted and really distilled or, or distorted um, Black Lives Matter, in my opinion. And it's great because also like we are always stuck in such like a scarcity mentality of like, Oh, like we need more room at the table. The table does not exist. <laughs> like get rid of the table. It does not exist. So we can always make more and more space. And so for me, I was like, you know, we've never really made room for black Asians. And this is, this has been a problem. It's been my personal experience for so long. Um, there is not enough room within the imagined scarcity that creates space for black Asians that, 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 that affirms the stories of black Asians. And so for me, I was like, yeah, making the Blasian March was we're making room for us. We are now making a story specifically for us um, because so many other spaces that are monoracial, not mixed have just completely ignored us, not honored that black Asians we've been here for centuries, you know, Every moment of Black Asian community interaction, every moment of history, there's obviously somebody who intersects those communities. Definitely, 100%, which is why I really love Blasian March so much. Like, Thank you. <laughs> I remember the, fir like, like the first one that I came to when I met you, I was just, just completely blown away by like how unique and different this was like nothing i'd ever seen before mm -hmm. as well and i was like finally somebody who was doing this like because <laughs> oh. to be honest i'm i mean i'll get a little personal right now like i've i've been again like i said earlier i've been showing up for black lives matter for so long and i barely ever see asian people came come out yeah. and 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 you know like i i think i think uh, there's a lot of a lot of folks, they tend to just want to stay in their lane and yeah. they care about the things that only directly affect them. Um, so I don't blame a lot of people for, you know, like not coming out earlier. Um, but what I am glad to see was after this uprising, like uh, as this uprising was happening and at the same time, like you said earlier, as Asian people were 
suffering from the violence and the racism and the trauma of all that um, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, us being blamed for the mm. virus and, and people calling us a disease and calling us a virus and blaming us for this pandemic and, and then turning into that turning into violence against us and against our elders and, and women and femmes around the country. You know, it, 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 I was just like, if this is not the moment where we finally talk about black Asian solidarity, I don't think there's ever going to be another moment. Like, this is it, you yeah. know? And so, like, when you came out with Blasian March, and I was like, finally, somebody who's talking about this, because I've been, wa I've been talking about it for so long. And, you know, I never got to really, like, commiserate with others about, you know, showing up for black lives and showing up for all these other causes. And so for me, just like personally, finally being in the space where we're openly talking about, okay, black Asian solidarity, why it's important, what we need to do to continue like banding together and continue working together to fight alongside each other. I mean, these were, this was finally like for me, just a, such a, opening moment just to finally feel like okay like we're starting this conversation mm -hmm. we're finally starting this conversation that i feel like has been <laughs> like you know years in the making where we should been we should have been having this conversation a long time ago and it sucks that like bad things have to happen yeah. in order for people to finally like be like okay i'm paying attention you know we had to have black people murdered and asian people murdered to finally talk about okay what what is this what can we do together to prevent right. this it, i mean it sucks that it came to that but at least here we are we are having this conversation now and what i was very inspired um in 2020 2021 when a lot of these conversations were happening mm -hmm. was you know just like f like finally like these groups like disband like dismantling so much i mean like we're talking years of model minority myth, right. pitting our communities against each other, you know, like literally, literally comp comparing, comparing black people with Asian people and using Asian people as the scapegoat, right? right? To be like, oh, well, Asian people succeeded in this country and black people have not. Black people need to just like do what Asian people are doing, which is such like BS, but you know, <laughs> yes. but like you know, the the whole model minority myth that has pitted our communities mm -hmm. against each other for so long, and like here we are at this like this this pivotal moment in our history as Americans, um, where we are now being forced to talk about like okay this how this myth and how how white supremacy how they have pitted us against each other how damaging that has been, been for our community damage, yes yeah. decades of damage you know and and so how do we now heal from that how do we learn from that so like my next question for you is you know, how do we, why is this solidarity so important for us as black and Asian folks? Like mm -hmm. how, why is this so important for us? What, what, you know, what can we learn from all this? Like, like despite all the racism, the prejudice and model minority myth, how can we better come together now? Um, you know, in light of everything that has happened in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say I, I I I truly believe that without solidarity, we as Asian Americans wouldn't even have our identity as Asian Americans. So the term Asian American um, started uh, during civil rights era, Black Power movement, um, in, uh, through the Third World Liberation Front at UCLA Berkeley, and. This term was coined uh, by Yuchi Ichiko, Ichioka and Emma Gi, and like literally, this came out of solidarity work with Black students, with Mexican students, with Indigenous students. Um, we literally have that term Asian American because of this coalition, this cross-racial coalition that was fighting for education, that was fighting for our rights, um, and I think like 
historically speaking, solidarity has been vital to getting anything done on this stolen land. I mean, I'm thinking about the Delano Grape Strike with Larry Itliong and Cesar Chavez. That was a huge collaboration between Mexican and Filipino farm workers. We wouldn't have a lot of our labor rights without that cross-racial solidarity. I mean, even the civil rights era, um, Asian Americans have been so erased and censored out of the civil rights era obviously on purpose because without Asian Americans, we wouldn't have civil rights either. I am also, I will always obviously honor the black leadership like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, um, but they collaborated with Asian Americans like Grace Lee Boggs, Yuri Kochiyama, um, Kyoshi Kuramiya, who was an openly gay Japanese American man who marched with King on Selma, which no one knows about. Uh, Kuramiya, he was also the one who watched um, the children after MLK was assassinated. Um, Kodamiya was also, in 1980, I believe, the uh, only openly gay panelist at the Black Panther Party convention. And, you know, he went on to be part of ACT UP. He founded the Philadelphia chapter. Um, or think about Malcolm X and how his departure from Nation of Islam was based on his, uh, his Hajj to Mecca. They're interacting with Muslims over there in West Asia and understanding that, you know, a lot of the retaliation to white violence was not the answer to our liberation. Um, we also have to hold folks like Yuri Kochiyama, um, who, like Kyoshi, like all the other um, Japanese Americans, came out of the World War II um, internment camps. Her solidarity with Malcolm X was also historic. I mean, even though this is erased from the Spike Lee film, she was the one who held Malcolm X as he when he was assassinated. She was the one who ran towards him as I was running away from him. Um, so it's like, if we didn't have solidarity, we wouldn't have history. Solidarity has been crucial to any part of American history. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I just got to pause for a second. Can you just repeat that really quick <laughs> so that everyone can really hear that? If we didn't have solidarity, we wouldn't have history. Oh, God, that's so good. Can we put that in like <laughs> a Guinness World Records book of quotes or something? <laughs> like that is so true, though. It's, it's so, so true. true because like like we, I, I think what a lot of um, what, what, where where we like mess up a lot is how we always forget about that solidarity yeah. part of things like we forget about that history we forget about history all the time actually yeah. you yeah. know like we we, we never learn <laughs> really we should be learning right from past mistakes from uh, like from our history and when it comes to black asian relations like people tend to forget about the Grace Lee Boggs, the Yuri Kochiyama. It's like mm -hmm. like they don't remember. Like there has been strong examples of Black Asian solidarity in the past, right. but it's so overwhelmed or overshadowed by again model minority myth mm -hmm. and you know the the communities like be, being pitted against each other. And there is you know a lot of racism on both sides of things, right? right? Like my my parents' generation, they were fed that model minority already myth mm -hmm. and so a lot of the older asian generations like have a lot of anti-blackness in them yeah. and then vice versa a lot of ants like a lot of black people have a lot of anti-asianness in them Absolutely. right like because again we've been constantly compared to one another and right. so uh, it's it, it's really important i think in our work especially our solidarity work to talk about this to talk about these uncomfortable messy things because we yeah we have to i mean like this is our history mm -hmm. right this is like this is how we can better understand each other better understand where we're coming from um you know how do we have these conversations i mean that's just like such a it's a 
is a huge endeavor, and it's not going to just change overnight. There's a lot of work to be done, and a lot of education, a lot of resources need to be poured into this, right? But I think with our like the younger generation of Black and Asian folks in America, that is definitely happening way more. Yeah. The conversations are happening so much more, and I think that we are the generation that can really ignite the m- massive change that you know Grace Lee Boggs and Yuri Koshiyama had fought for back then. You know, to like to to really show like, okay, we we are in true. Solidarity, and this is the power that we have when we are in true solidarity with yeah. one another. Yeah, and like, Eska, I mean, I I recently um, spoke at a high school um, in Chicago, and I presented on this intersectional um, civil rights history, and it really it was just so wild to me how some of the kids already knew this history because they had done the research on their own, which they should not be doing. Yeah. That's sh- this This is the school's responsibility. Yes. Like, this is public education responsibility. We did not get that education right. when we were younger. Right. You know, like, these kids are learning it from the internet, really. Right. You know? And, like, this 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 current fight for to, in, to incorporate Asian American history in public education, like, it is such... I mean, if it's done correctly, there's, there's one part. Um, <laughs> questions. Because, I mean, I, I look at black history and how it's been so um, rewritten, censored for, like, white comfort. And I just have that same concern for Asian American history. But the fact that we're fighting for that right now, the fact that the kids already, like, know a lot of this it's like, well, th- there there is a good part of having the internet. Like, <laughs> There is. I mean, like, the internet has its bad things and yeah. it also has its good things, mm-hmm. right? And... And I th- and I think like uh, we're gonna hit a lot of road bumps on yeah. this journey, but um, I I see positive yeah. change. I see something happening. Things are moving, right? Yeah. What maybe they're slow, but it's moving. It's and moving. and and I think like doing this work, we're always going to have like things that go wrong. Um, that's it's not an easy road, right? And so, like, that kind of actually leads me into my next question yeah. for you is, you know, like the lessons that you've learned doing this work. Like, uh, I mean, th- it's not. Ha- I know it has not been easy for you because you've told me many times about how it's not <laughs> been easy for you. It's not been easy for me too. You know, right. like it, it is really tough. And I think like a lot of the audience, like people or like the public or viewers or like audiences, like they only see um the sparkly stuff right they don't see all the nasty dirty gritty like the grueling the the drama the drama (laughs) i mean god like so like you know this like uh, even though like we are like working towards this like there has been a lot of of struggle a lot of frustration so like what are the lessons that you've learned mm. in you know organizing Blasian march and and doing all these things and even in your public engagements in yeah. your writing like everything that you've done you know what are some of the lessons that you've learned throughout this time oh i would definitely say first things first take your time Take your time to mm. to learn, take your time to heal, take your time to educate yourself because you do not want to jump on the bandwagon on the megaphone and start screaming like things that are not factual, things that are, you know, you have good intentions, but because you don't understand the history of another community, it comes across as very anti-Asian, like I've seen that at so many protests where it was allegedly for black Asian solidarity. And I would hear them speaking. I'm like, you have no idea what Asian American history is, honey. Why you do not have authority to speak, but you have the mic. So like, great. Um, so take your time, take your time, slow down. Like there is literally, if colonization took centuries to be instituted, it's going to take centuries to undo it. So please take your time, plant the seeds in yourself, plant seeds in others. Um, I always think about, I believe it's a quote from the Quran, but it's basically, it says like tie your camel, which I think is like always have like a sense of practicality around your organizing. 
like you don't want to burn out. You don't want to be like, I have to be out here every single weekend for the for liberation. And I'm like, well, society relies on, on burnout to maintain itself. Like white society, the colonial state relies on us burning out. We burn out in corporate structures. We burn out just trying to survive. And if we're burning out in our movements, we're burning out the movement. Like there is no movement without we the people. So yeah, figure out what makes sense to you, what makes sense for, for your needs. Um, I mean, we are joking earlier, but like, yeah, me public speaking and me writing, these are, these are ways that I'm still organizing, but make sure that I can pay the rent and pay the bills. you right. <laughs> which I am late on, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. The checks take a while to clear as, as I'm learning. I was like, Oh, those take a while to clear. Cause they're okay. That's, you know, that's but fine. <laughs> as a freelancer, you yeah. really have to learn mm-hmm. how to, to, like demand yes. for yourself, yes. which is really hard coming from people who are taught not pe- to take space. Taught not to take space. Yes. Yes. That is so. Oh, again, we can have another episode about this. <laughs> take space, femmes of yeah, color. So, like you know, as someone who is a queer, non-binary femme of color, like I also have struggled so hard yes. to take up space and demand more for myself. You know. And like, oh, it's been it's an ongoing lesson mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still figuring it out. So, yeah, I yeah. feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> and like based on that, you have to name it to change it. You have to say this feels wrong or I don't feel like I'm being honored properly in this process. Um, I think a lot of that also comes back to like trust. Like you have to organize with trust in the work. I I I can't tell you how many times I've had to quietly walk away from organizers. I've had to like pivot because, you know, if, if, if you don't trust the person you're working with, how can you really do the work? Exactly. So well, that's so true yeah. too. Yeah. So that, that I've been learning a lot about trust as mm-hmm. well and about people yeah. who actually care or uh, versus the people who are just doing it for clout. Or brownie points. Brownie you points. Know? We're here for the grams. We're like, oh my god, the place you're just one of like, yeah, I'd love to like be a part of it. Da, 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 da. I'm like, okay, but why? But why? <laughs> yeah. I'm, why exactly? I'm, I love collaborations. I love when I get to see other cities take on Blazing Mark. Also, I'm kind of like, are you doing this for the community? Or are you doing this for you? Because I have had to like quietly walk away from some people who were kind of like I don't want to be a part of this, but I don't want to do any of the work. So I'm going to give you all the labor, Rohan. And I'm kind of like, but this is a collaboration. No, I don't <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that, that's not a collaboration right. then. That's just you, mm. them forcing labor on you. Exactly. On you. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, great. I've, uh, d- I've been in the same position. Yeah. So many people who have asked me to do photography for them mm-hmm. um, and presented it as a collaboration, but it ended up me being just doing all the work and them just like taking all the credit. And they always like show up the last minute, like, oh, I'm here. Yeah. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> no, I think, I think, yeah, like, less, like, as we're talking about lessons and doing this work, it's really like uh, I've been learning a lot about who are the people yeah. that I really want to keep close. Yeah. And who are the people that I'm going to walk away from. Yeah. You know, and you really have to do that in order to protect yourself, yeah. protect your energy, protect your soul, you know? That's a, that shit will drag you down. It will drag you down. And then you'll burn out. Yeah. I, I've been burnt out before. You know, I, I've had to take long breaks from mm-hmm. things. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm starting this podcast back up after like two and a half <laughs> years. I mean, like, I, but, but I mean, I had extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. for that. But I mean, you know, like, like sometimes you got to take a break, walk yeah. away from it. And then, you know, and then you can come back with like better, clearer. Clearer. You know, like. That, yeah. And, and clarity yes. is so critical to the work. You have to be yeah. clear in what you want to do. You have to be clear totally. in your vision. You have to mm-hmm. be clear and have concrete steps to get to that vision. Yes, Because totally. we can talk about Black, Asian solidarity. But if I'm not doing, you know, for example, at the Blasian March, we last year we launched our, our book fair program where we give out free books from Black and Asian writers to build solidarity because a lot of, in my opinion, in my <laughs> humble opinion, um, <clears throat> while in 2021, 
we were seeing a lot of amazing moments of black Asian solidarity, a lot that was burning out because it was based on pop culture, pop news, but not the deeply investigated histories of black Asian solidarity. So there'd be like people like, yeah, we're here for like the black community, but like, you know, anti-Asian violence, which y'all are responsible for, which is like, well, have you done the research? Have you learned that actually it's been uh, uh, the Violent Hate Project of University of Michigan reported that 89.6% of anti-Asian violence in 2020 was from white people or uh, NBC Asian America. They also released that that number was 72%. So like those are like huge differences. Also, we can always question how the metrics are like gathered. But the point is the vast majority of anti-Asian violence is from white society. It's from the colonial state. So how can you organize based on the white mythology that black people are responsible for anti-Asian violence? I mean, that's just because the media was portraying what they want to portray, which is always the black person like starting violence against somebody. And that, that fits their narrative, right? It fits their like typecast of black people Mm -hmm. as criminals or as violent. Right. So I mean, uh, doing the research, like you were saying earlier is, so pivotal so crucial to anything it's like before you open your damn mouth do the damn research, do the damn research. it's not that hard there is something called google hello you know <laughs> there is something called google it's very easy to use okay unless you're trying to research palestine in which case there are other mediums to research palestine yes because yes, google yes. is we, we'll, well that's a different conversation which we should <laughs> speak with Palestinian organizers on. But. Which which I plan, uh, plan to do yes. at some point, yes. But yes, you know, yeah. like there is there is a multitude of, of venues or platforms mm-hmm. that you can go to to right. really figure, find out the facts, right? Right. Um, yeah, so a le- lot of lessons learned. Like, I mean, I think, uh, I think doing this work is a continual lesson, always, always. right? Always. Um, but I want to ask one last question before we wrap up. And um, I want to ask, because I think a lot about this. I think a lot about this in my own work all the time is um, what, what's your legacy? You know, how do you want to be remembered and what impact do you want your work to have on people? Like what, how do you want people to remember Blasian March? Like when they were marching in the streets or when they go to your book fairs or when they, you know, go to any of your public speaking engagements, like what impact do you want to leave on people i hate this question (laughs) (laughs) no because like it's it's like so i i i am a leo stellium i have four leo placements so of course i'm like i want everyone that i was glamorous but (laughs) (laughs) um but uh I, 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 I hope that people will learn that I organized on the basis of hope because I, I, I think so many modern day organizers are always trying to like organize against or in retaliation, which to me, I'm like, well then that goes back to burnout because this society will continue to constantly create new things for you to organize against. And that I think really is a, it, I mean, people, some, sometimes there is a place to organize against, of course, but I think for the most part, we should be working around what can we organize for mm, like civil rights. That. We were organizing for our human rights, mm-hmm. affirmative action. That was an organization, a collaboration with Japanese American writers and Japanese American um, folks with other folks in the community, um, which was an organizing for something. So I, I hope that folks remember me for that. Um, I also hope that people can see the disruption of the boundaries that we have people of color uphold on ourselves, you know, Mm. cause so much of the colonial state relies on us maintaining borderlines of race, maintaining borderlines of, of gender, of, of, 
of economic status, of citizenship, of, of disability or ability. Um, I really hope that, that, that folks will take the lessons of this. I can only do so much as a human being. You know, some people have been like, well, why can't you do like a black, Asian, Latinx, indigenous action? I'm like, one day, absolutely. But as a community, we're not there yet. Unfortunately, we, 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 we've lost decades of that work due to institutions like the model minority myth, institutions like miseducation that have censored and erased these very wonderful collaborations across um, racial boundaries. Um, so I, I, I hope that folks can see that and say, oh, can we now take that a step further? Can we now take this and cross the next boundary, cross the next borderline? that has been created by white supremacy or the colonial state. I prefer the term colonial state, not white supremacy. I think white supremacists are a little too comfortable with, with the term white supremacy. <laughs> like, so I'm like, why are they comfortable? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> but yeah, that would be my answer. I love that. And, and I think like as, as cheesy as it sounds, like hope is truly, the driving thing for us here. Mm -hmm. I mean, because without that, then there is no purpose for us to continue right. fighting. Right. And I like how you talk about, okay, what are, what are we doing this for? Because um, it, it, it puts a more positive spin on it, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, we are doing this for us. We're doing this for our loved ones. We're doing this for our friends, for our future right. communities, for right. the, the, the future generations, right? right? right. Um, and, and I think that that is what propels me to continue to do this. I mean, it's again, this is not glamorous work and we don't get paid a lot doing it, you no. know? Like, what else <laughs> are we doing this for exactly? Right. Um, <clears throat> but um, I think I think thinking about it in that way is really, really beautiful. I'm so glad that you were able to come here. There's so much more we can talk about, honestly. Like, I, I there's... We, we could. You can come back anytime, okay. by the way. <laughs> we'll come. I'll have you back one day, and uh, we'll get into more things. But um, just to wrap it all up um just tell the audience and listeners like you know what you have coming up if you mm. have anything coming up and what you uh, are planning for the future oh my god so many things um <laughs> so uh let's see for myself um i am currently a 2023 open city fellow with asian american writers workshop and <laughs> also congrats to the union yeah. oh my gosh what a relief yes. um so I am publishing two pieces with them on Asian American stories here in New York. Um, the first piece um, that's coming out relatively soon um, will be about um, the mega jail in Chinatown. And for folks who don't know, um, it is part of the Closed Rikers Island initiative signed by, I believe, de Blasio during his time as mm -hmm. mayor. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. have another episode about Ooh, that. Oh, let's go. Oh, Lord. <laughs> let's go. Let's, let's go. go. There's, a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and so my piece will basically cover how the mega jail has basically contributed to gentrification, how it's contributed to uh, police brutality towards Asian Americans in Chinatown, which no one talks about. Because once again, the media wants to focus on black perpetrators, not the police state that's attacking Asian Americans. Because that is a narrative that is uh, only works when we want to like ignite Black Lives Matter. Not, oh, this story suspends our expectations about how policing is violent towards every community of color. Mm -hmm. It is an ableist structure. It's violent towards everyone who is disabled. It's violent towards, mm -hmm. you know. Police have killed a number of Asian Americans Hello. as well. And that doesn't ever get, like, you know, like, like uh, politicized enough. Or, exactly. like, it never is, like, in the news enough because... Again, it feeds into yeah. that police state and like mm -hmm. how like they the news will never ever want to never. to show a police state being like you know the <laughs> killing <laughs> killing other people. It's just right. I, I'm sorry. I'm That's like, model minority myth right there. This is model minority sh bullshit yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> you know I'm just like come on. Like we're not gonna talk about like Asian people being killed. Like it's just I. I 
Yeah. There's um, a, whole, a whole nother conversation about that. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's actually, um, in September when I was out in Switzerland, um, I, I, I danced a piece, um, called homage. It's about the police killings of Asian Americans. Mm. Um, it premiered actually in Chicago 2016 at the A squared theaters, um, Asian American performing arts festival. So I'm trying to bring it here to New York. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, bring it here, bring uh, it here. We need to know more about this, you know? Like, yeah. we need to know more about how the police state is not only harmful to black communities, it's harmful to Asian communities, to Hispanic, Latino communities. Mm-hmm. Like, it is harmful to a lot of immigrant people of color communities. I mean, <laughs> they actually kill indigenous folks at a faster rate than any other community of color. So Oof. it's like, these stories we need to like talk about. Yeah, yeah. If we're gonna talk about safety. Yeah. So like, and that's yeah. the work that you're doing, which yeah. is so incredible. I am so happy that you are here. Seriously, thank, thank you. you so much for being here. <laughs> I, I, I know that we can keep going, but um, let's wrap it up. And yes. you know, just uh, again, thank you, Rohan. Um, where can people see your work or mm-hmm. follow you? Like you know, Instagram. Or of whatever course. other social media. Uh, me personally, you can find me at diaryofafirebird.com. That's also all of my platforms on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Um, for the Blasian March, you can also find us at blasianmarch.org. Also, that is all of our TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook pages. Um, heads up, April 29th is our book fair here in New York City. Yes. 137, 137 Henry Street uh, here in Chinatown, Immigrant Social Services. Um, May 27th, tentatively, we are going to have our first rally in Washington, D.C. We are marching for affirmative action. So if you want to support us, we are still fundraising um, for that initiative at BlasianMarsh.org. Uh, we'll be back here June 11th um, for our Pride Rally. Um, and then I believe June 30th, we will be in Sacramento. Wow, so much. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot coming up. So make sure you visit Diary of a Firebird or Blasian March. That's either BlasianMarch.org, right? Or mm-hmm. DiaryOfAFirebird.com. Yep. Um, you can also visit any uh, social media, like Instagram, Facebook, right? With those handles and all that information will be provided on yes. those accounts, right? Awesome. Yes. So great. Can't wait for all these upcoming events. Um, I'll be there. Hopefully, we'll see a lot of our friends and community out as well. I'm sure they will all be out. Thank you again, Rohan, for being here. Oh, so you. glad that you can make it and be and so glad that you're my first return guest to the podcast. Seriously, mm. this was so wonderful. So I fun. appreciate you so much. I can't wait for all the upcoming events and all the upcoming things that you're doing. Um, and j- again, just thank you for being here. <laughs> I <Thank laughs> I have so much love for you. Right back um, Activist NYC, the podcast is recorded at Canal Street Radio and is presented by Canal Street Market in New York City. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next time.